Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. All right, let's study the word today. I'm going to, one of my kind of lasting times as your lead pastor for two more weeks, I get a chance to do what I do, and I'm going to just go for it today uh, because (laughs) I get to. (laughs) So we're going to study the Bible today. So I want to encourage you to pull out your paper Bibles if you have it. If you don't, pull out your electronic Bible. Uh, the, all, the scriptures are going to be on the screen too, but it's a good habit to bring your Bible to church. I want to encourage you to bring your paper Bible to church. Amen? Amen. amen. I'm going to just keep saying amen until you respond. So I know it's irritating, but <laughs> we're going to get into... Thank you, <laughs> Carrie, for affirming how irritating it is for me to say Amen. <laughs> amen. All right, well, Hebrews chapter 11, we've been in a series called Live by Faith, and this will be our fourth week. We've been really looking at what it looks like to live by faith. Uh, Pastor Andrew, over the last two weeks, has looked at uh, Rahab, the uh, the, the prostitute. We also looked at, um, oh my gosh, Gideon, thank you, it was so good. Um, It was... (laughs) It was actually a really good sermon. I like Gideon better than Rahab, but it was like both were really, really good. But uh, you should listen to both of them. But it was such a great sermons and messages. I laughed so hard, especially when he talked about the bread rolling into Gideon's camp. He goes, I'm going to do a series on bread. Don't worry, it won't be dry. I was like, that's so good. Oh, I wish I was that funny. Okay. But come on, we're going to put a couple of scriptures on the screen. We're going to walk through Hebrews chapter 11 for just a moment, but I'm actually going to jump over to the book of James. And what we're going to look at today is the, the idea of living by faith. I felt like I should conclude this four weeks on what does that mean for us? Okay, live by faith. The first week I talked about this radical obedience that you and I are required to take as followers of Jesus. How as followers of Christ, the disciples of Jesus, living by faith means that we step out and trust in God when we don't know what's going to happen. It's a handle on what we don't see. It's this reality that God's speaking to me. He's, he's confirmed it by two or three witnesses. He's, he's leading me down this path or he's leading me in this direction or he's leading me to give up this relationship, this this unhealthy relationship, or he's leading me to start this business or leading me to start this ministry or he's leading me in this direction and so I'm about to sit, but I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what's gonna happen to my job or what's gonna happen to my friends or what's gonna happen. Am I gonna afford it? Or is God gonna provide a how? All of the what ifs questions. What am I gonna wear? And what am I gonna eat? And is there gonna be shelter over my head? And what we talked about was that that's actually what it means to live by faith. That's actually should be a normal reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'll just start with this little zinger. If that isn't a part of your regular life, you might not be living by faith. If you aren't taking steps to require you to have a little bit of cold sweats at night, wondering, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? That's okay. You say, well, that must not be God. No, that's exactly God because God is testing your faith and your trust in him to say, God, I know that I'm going to give up this unhealthy relationship that I've been in for six years and my boyfriend or my girlfriend or this friendship, but it's been toxic. It's been difficult. But God, if I give that person up, they've been so reliable. Will you provide for me another relationship? And you step out in faith and say, hey, listen, this relationship's not working anymore. It's toxic. I know I love you, but listen, I need some distance. And all of a sudden you find yourself in great relationships in the house of God. A new relationship that's building your faith and encouraging you, but it takes a step of faith. And so every single person in this room, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, is required to take steps of faith that will require trust that will make you have night sweats. 
steps that will make you say, oh my gosh, God, what's next? Oh my gosh, God, how am I going to afford that? How am I going to be able to step in faith if I sell this and I sell that and you want me to go this direction or you want me to give that finances? How am I going to do that, God? He says, that's exactly where I want you because all you have left is your trust in me and it requires you to live by faith. So we've been looking at that. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to just kind of look at what, uh, what, the, uh, what this looks like. You know, I'm going to conclude it with kind of the same thought I started this with. But I wanted just to give you a biblical conclusion we find in Scripture. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 33, if you have your Bible, you can open that. It's also going to be on the screen, but just a good practice to bring your Bible to church. And here's why, because sometimes God will speak something to you. And I'll give you one sentence, you'll underline in your Bible, and then you're off in la-la land thinking about what God's speaking to you. And sometimes you need to go to la-la land and stop listening to me and start listening to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're listening to 30 minutes of a great sermon, which is awesome, but we just need one little nugget of manna from Jesus. So he might speak something to you right now, and you're like, okay, i got to start taking notes because the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. I give thy permission (laughs) to hear from the Holy Spirit. But you got to have your Bible. You got to have some notes. Gotta, if God's speaking to you, you got to write it down. You got to underline it. So that's my encouragement to you. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, I need to make it a little smaller. I'm just working this out, this new screen out. But you can kind of see it. So I'm going to duck. How about this? I'll sit, I'll sit on the stage. How about that? All right. How about that? Can you see me online? You probably can't. Sorry back there, Ezra, but we're going to do it anyways. These people all trusted God, and as a result, won battles, overthrew kingdoms ruled their people well, and received what God had promised them. They were kept from harm in a den of lions, in a fiery furnace. Some, through their faith, escaped death by the sword. Some were made strong again after they had been weak or sick. Others were given great power in battle, and they made whole armies turn and run away. Some women, come on now, some women, praise God, Notice it doesn't say some men in the scripture. What's the point? I want you to point out, man, these women are way more faith-filled than these men. Some women, through faith, received their loved ones back from the dead, but others trusted God and were beaten to death, preferred to die rather than turn from God and be free, trusting that they would rise to a better life afterwards. Some were laughed at, and their backs cut open with whips, and others were chained in dungeons. Some died by stoning, and some by being sawed in two Others were promised freedom if they would renounce their faith and then, uh, then were killed with the sword. Some went about in uh, skins of sheep and goats and wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in dens and caves. They were hungry and sick and ill-treated, too good for this world. And these men of faith and women of faith, though they trusted God and won his approval, none of them received all that God had promised them. For God wanted them to wait and share the even better rewards that were prepared for us. So we realized something very quickly about two things I realized about this scripture. Number one is that each of the people that we talk about in this hallmark of faith were people who had relationship with God. There were people who knew God. There were people who, by the, 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 the realities of their life, by the actions of their life, by, you, you read about Rahab and Gideon and Samson and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Noah, every single individual listed in this scripture would all say they had a life-giving, personal, intimate relationship with God. 
The second thing I realized about this hallmark of faith is that these individuals all had an action to their faith. They all did something about their faith. It wasn't just internal faith. It wasn't just a profession of faith. It wasn't just, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but their lives didn't reflect that faith. It was a faith, they, they, they won battles. They, 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 they had to go into war to win a battle. They, they overthrew kingdoms. Well, they had to go to the kingdom and overthrow them. They, they ruled people. Well, they had to have wisdom and rule and leadership. They, they, they wouldn't bow down to idols. And they, they, wouldn't, they continued to pray to God. They, they chose to lay down on their knees and pray to Yahweh God when they were told not to. They, they had power in battle. Some were beaten and some were hurt physically. Well, why? Because they were letting the external actions of their faith be known to all men. They said, listen, and I'm not just going to have an internal, quiet, somber faith where I do my thing and I'm quiet. No, it's an external lifestyle. It's things I do with my life every day, acts of faith and pushing forward for God and speaking the word of God and speaking the gospel for God and stepping out for him and sharing my faith and being evangelistic and believing for miracles and starting that ministry that's going to change lives and starting that business that's going to help finance the kingdom of God. I constantly am living out my faith. But the problem with our society today is we got a lot of professors of faith, but people who aren't actually doing anything about it. And these people in Hebrews chapter 11 are people who some of them went in to serve God and they got sodden too. That wasn't what I thought. I thought if I served God, my retirement was going to go up. My house was going to get bigger. My car was going to get nicer and life was going to be so comfortable like peaches and cream. These guys got sodden too. They got murdered for their faith. These people in this scripture, they were ones, Noah building arcs and Isaac believing for another day and Abraham continued to live in tents even though he was the wealthiest man on the planet. I thought everything was gonna be great and better. That's what the American Canadian dream tells me. Well, yes, but that's not formed on God's kingdom. Living by faith requires us to understand that it's not just a profession of our faith a profession of our lips. There's something that they did. They, they lived their lives. Their faith was expressed on the external realities in the physical realm of their life. Their spiritual realm was executed in the natural realm. We see, I, I mentioned this in, a few weeks ago, that Timothy, or Paul rather, is writing to Timothy and says this, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers, say all, not just some. All believers will be filled with love that comes from genuine faith. The word genuine there, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, actually it means not disguised. It isn't concealed. It's, it's, there's no deceit. There's no pretension. There's no impersonating. You're not faking it. It's, you're not being a hypocrite, meaning that you're, you're saying one thing and doing another. On the, on the, you know, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I'm a disciple. But your, but your life doesn't look like it. Maybe not even in sin. Maybe it's just passivity. Maybe you're just kind of sitting by the wayside. Maybe you're just waiting for something to happen. And this genuine faith meant the genuine faith was something that 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 isn't that isn't. You're not impersonating. It's not disguised. It's not covered up. Genuine faith expresses itself not just internally but externally. It impacts how we live our lives. It impacts how we make decisions. It impacts what car we drive. 
Yes, it does. It impacts what house you buy. It impacts what school you go to. It impacts the person that you marry. It impacts how you spend your money and what you do with your life. Living by faith actually impacts your day-to-day decisions in your life. Living by faith isn't you just going to Papua New Guinea and preaching the gospel to the naked people. Like that's not what, that's not just the act of faith. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh. That's the, when we say living by faith, we go, oh, it's this big. No, no. Living by faith is daily acts of faith that will further the kingdom of God. And Paul actually breaks it down for us in the scripture in Galatians chapter five. He's talking about people who are caught up in the, he was so ticked at the church of Galatia. He says, what's bewitched you, you crazy people? Like what's come over you? That you've gone away from the gospel and gone into the religion of do-goodism. Well, you do good things, not out of faith in God, but you do good things out of this idea that if I'm a good enough person, then I'll make it to heaven. If I'm a good enough person, then God will love me. If I'm a good enough person, then I will prove my faith. What Paul here says is this. He says, what good is it, my dear brothers and sisters, if you say you've, I'm sorry, Galatians 5, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. This word expressing is the word energeo. It's where we get the word energy. The the word here is a word that speaks to an expression. It means operation. It means effective, powerful. So what's important is, is that our faith is, is energized on the external by how you express this faith and love in God. It's this energy. It's this, this, this action, this operation. Faith has an expression. Faith by itself is not an expression of, of faith. And then we're going to learn here today that faith alone is not what God is looking for. He wants faith, but there's more to it than just that. The expression of faith is what makes it genuine. How you live your life is what makes it genuine. The decisions that you make, the friendships that you engage in, the lifestyle that you live in are the energy of the love I have in my life from God and what God has done in me. It's expressed through how I live my life. And James, Jesus' half-brother, really gets into this, and I skipped there already, but... James, Jesus' brother, was a disciple of Jesus. He did not believe in Jesus until much after uh, Jesus rose from the dead. James had an encounter with, with his brother, God, and it ended up being the, the, uh, the pastor of the largest church, the Jerusalem church, the chief church. And James wrote a letter that would be circulated throughout Jerusalem because the persecution of the Christians had gotten so bad, they were no longer able to gather on Sunday in their church buildings. And there were church buildings, by the way. We see it in Acts chapter 2. They gathered in Solomon's colonnade. But over time, people began to gather together in freedom. But a time came, the reason they didn't gather in places like this is because they were being murdered for their faith. So they were being persecuted. Just like in China right now. They can't meet in a gathering spot. They'll be murdered unless they read the book the Chinese government lets them read. And so here's these people professing faith in God. They're required, they're meeting in these little homes. They have a, a little uh, uh, fish, as you know, the little fish. They would put that fish. It was a, a, a way that I'm understanding as they walked by. Okay, this is a place where followers of Jesus meet. 
And they went into that place. And so what was happening, James wrote this letter. And James is writing this letter. And he actually starts to call people foolish in this letter. You foolish person. And he's not talking to the readers. He's not talking. He's talking to a, a person who was within the church. He's having a, a, like a verbal war with this person who is telling them that you, you don't need to do any expressions of works. You don't, you don't need to live your life in a certain way. Just have faith. He says, just believe. Just, just, you know, believe in something. Believe in, I believe in God. I, well, you, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Christian. I go to church. He said, that's acceptable. You don't actually have to do anything with your faith. And so theologians believe that he was in a tit-for-tat argument with this individual. And he wrote this letter first to this guy and said, I want you to send this letter to this, this, this joker over here who's trying to tell us that we don't actually have to express our faith and actually live for God. And so what he's writing is to this person. And then he said, once this joker reads it, circulate it to all the churches. And so all these underground churches would read the letter on a Sunday from, from Pastor James. And they would read it and then they would take it to the next house and take it to the next house and they would circulate this letter throughout all the churches in that day because they were being persecuted for their faith and what James was trying to let them understand was our faith is not a quiet faith our faith is not I, I don't like it when people say well it's, a, it's my personal experience no it's not it's not a personal experience yes Jesus loves you but he saved you to save others God Almighty he wanted to touch your life so you could touch others lives and so he says, listen, I need you to understand that there is a faith that is expressed in your life that is beyond just having belief in God. It's an expression in the impact of your life. So this is what James says in the scripture. He says this, what good is it? Notice he says, dear brothers and sisters, he's not writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to, a, he's writing to followers of Jesus. If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Wow. Now you need to understand something. He's not talking about salvation. This isn't an argument for works for salvation, like a Mormon would believe or a Jehovah's Witness might believe that the more, or even Islam, the more good works you do, the more you'll get into heaven. That ain't how it is. Guess what? Jesus loved you and he saved you despite you. He came to you while you were still in sin and he redeemed you and he gave you the gift of salvation, not for anything that you've done, but only by his grace. Amen. And you and I simply respond by, yes, God, we confess that you are God and I confess it with my mouth and I believe it in my heart. And the Bible says, you are saved. I didn't do anything. I haven't read my Bible yet. I haven't prayed yet. I haven't done anything good yet. Well, ain't that awesome? That favor ain't fair, baby. That's why we have Jesus. So he's not here arguing the, the mode of salvation. He's talking specifically to an individual who wants you and I to believe that we can just say, I believe in God and do nothing about it. That we don't have to live by faith. I'm already a Christian. I don't need to share my faith. I don't need to, you want me to give my money? I'm already like, between me and, between me and Jesus. You want, you want me to, you want me to, to join a team? Man, I just, I just come to receive, baby. Feed me, feed me good. You can tell I'm, I'm exiting the. <laughs> you know, I just, I have faith. I go to church. I have faith. I give every now and then. I have faith. I got good morals. Well, so does a lot of people. Yeah, so 
He's saying here, he wants him to understand something. He says, listen, don't you understand that 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 type of faith can't save anyone? It's not just faith. It's not just faith. Look what he continues to talk. He says this. So you see, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead. It is lifeless. It is useless. Now, someone may argue, well, some people have faith. Well, man, that person has faith, and that's good. he's good. And, and, but, but, you know, others, they just they express themselves through good deeds. Like, I'm good, just be doing my thing, coming to church. Man, they are out there. They're serving. That's good for them. <laughs> they are just so, it's such a good example. Man, I love it how you just share your faith all the time. Man, I mean, that's not me. <laughs> Man, I love it how you just give so much. I, man, God's given you a gift to give and to share your faith. I'm good just showing up, baby. But I said, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. What James is doing here is he wants, he's making an implication He's saying that our firm conviction in God, our faith should lead to a life that impacts others. A life that makes a difference for his kingdom. A genuine faith leads to a genuine life. How does your belief in God dictate how you live your life? He's implying that faith without an expression of faith is absolutely useless and dead. In verse 17, he calls it dead, which that word means lifeless and fruitless. In uh, verse 26, he calls it barren, which means not working, idle, and it's not producing fruits, listen, of the Spirit. See, James' choice of words here, he's making a point saying that faith that has no works does not work. James says that our faith isn't genuine if it doesn't impact our decisions in life and how we live. He says that our spiritual lives can become dead and lifeless and barren and not working and not powerful and idle and insincere. I want you to know that this is the reality for every follower of Jesus Christ here today, that when life shifts, when things get difficult in life, when life's hard, you get burned by the, this is the biggest tragedy in the church today is that people think that when they go to church, they're not gonna get burned. I am here to tell you today and I'm gonna use a word and if you close your kids' ears for a minute, sorry, Pastor Andrew, you can do with it later. I want you to know people suck. You know the problem isn't church or God, it's people. People just stink, don't they? And so many followers of Jesus are sitting in the back row saying, I have faith, but never doing anything about it because one day an inconsiderate, immature pastor got under your skin and did something sinful. Well, I have news for you. They are sinners and people suck. <laughs> but guess what? The church of Jesus Christ was God's idea. What happens is that you and I get into a place where we start to see our faith become dead and unprofitable. Our expression of faith begins to wane. We begin to become non-existent and we just sit back and we watch. In fact, this is the slippery slope to nominal Christianity. 
where often what happens is on one hand, we allow our faith to become just about what we believe and not about what we do. And so I'm a Christian, and, but they don't quite deserve my service. They don't, they're not quite to the place where I can interject myself. Why? Because I'm just so worried that I'm going to get hurt again. And so I'm going to just be a person of faith, but never do anything about it. Or you slip into a place where you overemphasize your works and you're now doing it at a place of brokenness and hurt, looking for affirmation. And now it goes into the religion of do-goodism where I'm doing good, not because I love Jesus and I love people. I'm doing good because I'm trying to cover up the fact that I don't want you to know I'm hurting and broken and don't want to slow down long enough to deal with my problems. I am bringing the heat today. Does God want us to be good people? Of course. But this is a slippery slope that we can find ourselves in. And look what, look what James here says in verse 19. He says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they, look at this, they tremble in terror. We live in a world that believes in God. We live in a world that believes in the universe. We live in a world that says, yeah, I believe in God. He's saying this, that the person that believes in God but does not have a life that is impacted and a life that's lived by faith are just like demons. <laughs> he says they believe in God too. And guess what? They respond in a whole, whole, a more holy manner than most people do. They shudder at the very name of God. Why? Because it's real to them. You say you believe in God. Demons think the same thing. And yet they shudder at the very sound of his voice. He's saying this, and it's such a zinger. James is such like, ugh. He's saying, listen, you say you believe in God, but these demons have more faith than you do. They tend to hear God and his voice, and they shudder at the reality that God is who he is, and they believe they don't act. He's saying this idea in that you and I are called to live by faith where it doesn't just happen on the internal. It happens on the external. And this is what he does. He, he says, okay, let me give you an example. And he goes into scripture to verse, verse 20. He says this. How foolish, can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember, in the NIV, he says, do you want evidence of this? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? He said, okay, Ryan, what is an act of faith? What does it look like to live by faith? He literally goes to Abraham. You remember Abraham? Genesis chapter 15, he was given 75 years old. His wife was barren. He was told that he was going to have a child. 25 years later, Abraham's 99, his wife's 93. They get pregnant and have a kid. And now they have this child. And this child, they love this child. And they're so grateful for this child. 25 years later, Isaac's 25 years old. And God comes to him and says, hey, listen, look what he says. Genesis chapter 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham's what? Do you see it? Tested his faith. Abraham, here I am, Abraham said. 
Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, the one I promised you, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain, which I will show you. Remember, this is James' personal example of what it looks like to combine your faith with works. He's not just talking about just small things like picking up garbage only. He's also talking about things in your life. He's saying, listen, I need you to lay this down because it's become more important to you than me. Look what happens in the scripture in verse three. It says the next morning, Abraham didn't even say a word. He got up, he sat on his donkey. He took two of his servants with him and along his son Isaac and he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering. Notice Abraham still hasn't said anything and set out for the place God has told him about. Here he is, he's got the, he's got the wood. He, he got up in the morning, didn't say a word, chopped the wood. Isaac's like, what's, didn't he, did he even bring Isaac in? He's just like, oh, I guess I'm going with my dad. Isaac's 25 years old, he's, he knows his dad. His dad's a quiet guy, he's walking with him. He's like, dad, I see the, the wood. I, I see the, the torch, I see the knife. I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham says to him, son, don't you worry. My God is a provider and he's going to come through. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, Paul says that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. Do you understand the implications? He's saying that Abraham was going to go through with slaying his child. And he believed that he was going to lift his hand up and he was going to kill his son. And that God would bring him back from the dead. That's how much Abraham believed in God. And he wasn't just going to put it to words. He wasn't just going to say it out loud. He was about to do it. And he took his 25-year-old son. And he literally wrapped his 25-year-old son in a rope so he couldn't move. And he picked this boy up and he laid him down on the altar. And he says, son, I sure love you. Just watch what God's about to do. And he brought his flint knife, which was probably rusty and was disease-ridden, ready to be stabbed into his son and he picked it up into the air and he grabbed he says okay God I trust you and I'm showing you that my faith is in you you're going to bring this boy back from the dead here I go and the angel stops him look what the angel said to him he said when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it and he and his son Isaac tied him up laid him on the altar at the top of the wood and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice at that moment the angel of the Lord called to him from him Abraham Abraham yes Abraham said here I am only two things Abraham said of this entire exchange was one sentence here I am look what he said don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For now, I know that you truly fear, trust in, and have faith in God. You've not withheld from me even the thing that's most precious to you. Now, the most beautiful thing about this story, you might be here today saying this, man, I really have to be a strong follower of God to make this big of a sacrifice. This must be the kind of thing God asks you to do when you've been following him for 20 years. Listen, when you begin your journey with God, he begins to ask you, the Isaacs are actually a bit larger. But as you serve God for longer, the Isaacs are smaller, like pride or unforgiveness or fear 
or mindsets you've allowed to permeate your thinking. When you start your journey, he's like, hey, listen, that relationship you're in, you need to lay that Isaac on the altar, right? When you start your journey, it's like, hey, you, know, you probably shouldn't have that habit in your life. Let's stop looking at that pornography or, hey, maybe you shouldn't be drinking this much or, you know, and he starts these big Isaacs where you're laying it down. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. But the longer you serve God, the Isaacs get smaller in, in your perspective, but in reality, they are larger to God. And he's saying, your acts of faith aren't just going to Papua New Guinea and preaching the gospel. They aren't just, just you being a radical John the Baptist wearing weird clothing out on the streets preaching the gospel. These acts of faith are, have implications in the reality of your daily life where when you used to think a certain way or you had unforgiveness because that person hurt you, God says, I need you to lay that on the altar. And he says, I'm never going to forgive that person. He says, well, your faith is dead then because faith and works, synergy, they work together. Faith alone doesn't work. Works alone don't work. I need your faith to be acted out in your life if you want your faith to stay alive. And the result of this is that your relationship with Jesus grows stronger. You know Jesus better. You have the relationship with him that you've always wanted. Well, I want to know God more. I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. Well, sure, those things are good. But how about you ever thought about maybe just laying that little thing on the altar? The thing he's been speaking to you about for years. You say, I'm going there again. He says, well, you better because your face going to go dead. Look what he says in the scripture in James as he ends this. You see, Abraham's faith and his actions worked together. His action made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Look at this. He was even called a friend of God. Well, that's Abraham. Well, no, that's for you too. I want you to know, you will say, right, I want to be a friend of God. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 7. And it says, many will come to me on the end of days and say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I sponsored God projects in your name. And the Lord will say to them, away from me, you evildoer. Listen, I never knew you. He says, I never had a relationship with you. You were just out doing good works and your faith was dead. Or your faith was, was dead, but you weren't actually doing anything with your life. You needed to couple the two. And when you couple the two, you're not just doing it to do good works. You're, you're not just doing good things to feel better about yourself. No, you're doing it out of a response of a relationship to God. Because Abraham knew that God is my friend. And God's not just going to ask me to kill my kid. He's going to bring him back from the dead. I just get to manifest his glory in this. So guess what, God? I've lived by faith for so long. I know you're asking me to give up this thing in my life. I'm going to lay it down. It's going to impact my life. It's going to transform how I live. I'm going to step out in faith. And guess what, God? You're so my friend, and you love me so much. You're going to do above and beyond all that I can ask or dream or imagine according to the power that works in my life. God, because no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceive the good things the Lord has prepared for those that love him. That God works all things to the good to those who are called according to his purposes. Come on, that's the kind of God we serve. You say, God, where are you? Maybe you should combine your, 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 your works with your faith. What is it in your life today? 
Is it, is it unforgiveness? Is it bitterness? Were you hurt by a pastor? Were you hurt by a friend? Maybe it's you were sexually abused as a kid or your dad's hurt you in the past. Or maybe it's a drinking habit or pornography or maybe you, you, you eat too much or you know, maybe it's a habit of some sort or I don't know what it is, but maybe it's an Isaac. It might be big for you right now and it might be something else, no big deal, but to God it is. And if you put that work in action with your love and your faith in God, I wanna make you my last and final promise, praise God that you will have a friendship with the creator because he just wants to have a relationship with you but that thing that you're not willing to give up that's standing between you and a relationship with God that's standing with him and he's speaking to you more clearly hey I need you to do this hey I love you so much I have something better for you here lay that down pick this up say this thing start here go there. Okay, God. Yes, Lord. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. I know it's hard. Here I am. Here I am. And guess what? He says, oh man, you and I are starting to have a real good friendship. I want you to stand to your feet. I just want to pray for you today. Pray for two people. I want to pray for the one group of people here today who are followers of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're a new Christian. Or maybe you're not a Christian and you just want to make a, like, you're like, man, I just want to make a commitment that I'm going to start not just saying it, but living it. The second group of people I want to pray for today are those in the room who are old Christians. Been in the church a long time and your, your, your faith has gotten a little dormant. In fact, I would say it's become useless, and profitable, fruitless. I don't say those things to shame you. I say those things to encourage you to know that right now, today, according to our faith and our belief in God, he can change it like that. I'm gonna pray he's gonna identify whatever it is in your life right now that he's asking you to lay on that altar. That's what James chose to use. This is the example of what it looks like to live by faith. I'm gonna pray for you right now. Would you just bow your heads?